0: i Beeler and I'm Quentin Wilson and together we are the two enthusiast podcast Two enthusiast podcast the diamond medallion motorcycle podcast <laughs> yeah I'm still just gold
1: you can be all diamond knee over there you're platinum in my eyes <laughs> <laughs> yeah no how's it going man oh my god we've got so <laughs> much going on oh my it's god been so this is good it means the season's coming it feels like it's it's like at the dealership everybody's kind of flowing along, winter doldrums, and then there's that one first week where everybody wakes up, parts are getting ordered, bikes are coming into service, bikes are getting sold, and the dealership's not ready, so it's all really fucky, and nobody it got, has their roles together. It just feels like that's what's going on in the industry right now. People are just waking up, and there's more going on than what most people can handle.
0: The riding, I think we can handle it, though. Yeah, the riding season is upon us. Uh, we got through the winter doldrums, New bike releases are happening. The riding weather is getting a little bit better. That's slowly migrating north. Uh, even here in Portland, it's getting pretty good out to ride. There's still a lot of gravel on the road, but yeah, sure. things things are happening. This is the time of the year where we start seeing the industry come out of its winter hibernation and, and stuff starts percolating into the space. MotoGP racing is happening. World Superbikes yeah. happening in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to have Moto America starting. So, so things are on the boil finally. It's good. I like it. And it, what's really good is that all of the angsty,
1: shitty forum comment level stuff goes, starts to go down a little bit. A it little, is, it little is kind of funny. I can actually track yeah. that stuff pretty well in the a mate. You know, we've never talked about this. I'm just saying this out of my ass. I can just tell. And yeah. it's funny to see it after 20 years of yeah. being on listservs and forums and shit like that. And frankly, Facebook now because Facebook's just the world's biggest forum. Seeing the angsty, myself included, I'm like, uh, "Why am I typing this?" Click, click, click. Right? Social
0: justice warrior <laughs> Quentin on the keyboard. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. There's someone on the internet, and they're wrong. I must fix this. Uh, ba, 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 I want to be. Ba, 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 we, I
1: should be like Moto Justice Warrior. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna hashtag the MJW tra- trademark QW.
0: Oh man, you're just a couple a couple letters off from being the MJW. Yeah, sure. Uh, Okay. Eh, it made sense in my mind. No, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Everyone else is like, huh? Yeah. Huh? What? Yeah. It made sense in my mind. Yeah, it did for. Just her. want I want you all to know that made a lot of sense in my mind. Wilson Warrior, that's about all I got out of that. Right. All right. Fair enough. Um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I've been just living out of a plane. Yeah. It's been it's been horrible. <laughs> it's yeah. been cool though. I've got to do some cool things. I was I about to say,
1: there's that balance when people say, "Oh, you're a diamond medallion member," and you're like. Yeah, that's not good. That's not a good thing. When you can say that, people are like, "Oh, that's cool. You get to do all these things, or you get free flights and you get free upgrades." That just means you're on the uh, an airplane way more than way you should be. Off.
0: I actually had stewardesses recognize me. Yeah, they're like, "Oh, it's you again." I'm like, yeah, and I've had that happen as well. Yeah, the
1: flights to and from uh, Salt Lake City for me because they're all Delta Big hub. Yeah, and and if you do it so often that you start recognizing people, it's bizarre. Nope, I.
0: So I just got back from, where did I come back from? Morocco. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. No, we're not. We're going to save that for next week. Oh, geez. Really? Yeah. We have to because it's, there's just too much. Okay. Because you're,
1: you're Moroccan our faces I'll be, elsewhere. I'll be
0: giving you a teaser. So yeah, we'll we'll talk about Morocco next week. It'll make more sense then because okay. that'll be like the Africa show. And if we both, we talk about both trips. and someone to South Africa soon too. Yeah. And that just it's makes It's not the- next week then. It's going to be two weeks from now. I'll be back in time. Oh, you will? But that just makes the intro music so much easier to pick. Okay, got it. It's gonna rain. Oh no, over Africa. And oh man, yeah. I've been hearing that. It's funny how it's making know. a revival. Yeah, sure. So let's let's talk about the things that we're not going to talk about today. And you you tell me if you want to like <laughs> spend more than five seconds. Okay. Um, Suzuki Katana. They yeah, trademark, I saw that. they trademarked the name again in the U.S. And they
1: didn't have Katana and then Cana Tuna. I was so disappointed that, you know, you should at least a trademark miss, it. Such
0: a mess. All right. Just 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 bookend that whole that whole space. <laughs> uh, I talked to Suzuki about this a little bit, and they're, the, the quick rundown I got was they're not quite sure what they're doing with the name. They wanted to reserve it. You just got to make sure, they sure you do. have it. Yeah. There, there was some We're ta- talking about it, Jensen. Why are we talking about We're it? We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it quick. Okay. Um, they're going to maybe call some street bikes Katana. Maybe not. We'll find out. If they came out with a resto mod
1: or a, oh yeah, whatever the thing is of the early 80s Hans Muth oh, yeah, level bike, yeah. I'd be really stoked. Me too. We've been seeing those. In fact, I probably, I think I shared one on Two Enthusiasts Facebook page not too long ago. One that somebody had done a resto mod on and I'm, it looked
0: rad. It looks good. It holds its own, even though it's weird German design. I've done a couple stories on, on resto mods on the katana and they, they look good. I wouldn't mind. That'd be a fun project bike in the garage. Sure. We're not going to talk about the Yamaha Tye, the tie. Oh, I just kind of got that Tie Fighter, <laughs> the Thai Electric Trials yeah, bike. Yeah, really cool though. Definitely, yeah, um, with a clutch, with a clutch, mechanical clutch. Yep. they're going to go as race the gas, it. Gas, gas,
1: race bikes that are electric. They, oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, it's a it's of note because if you can't, um, if you can't, you know, rev it up and dump the clutch, it's tough to do some of the you trialsy really, maneuvers. that they really need You really
0: do. do need to have it, and truthfully, like brands like Alta and others that are getting into the off-road space, I feel like they should probably figure a solution out like that too.
1: It's been talked about, but you know, you have to kind of find a balance of weight and complexity and cost. And if the thing does 99% of the things without that, um, then we're good to go. But like saying with the Alta, there's only a certain couple of circumstances where, and one of them would be you encounter a log on a steep uphill, you need to be right. able to right. zip the thing you know you know do a little clutch work to get over the log on right. an uphill whereas you normally can actually use just the throttle cuz it's so immediate a lot of people don't realize that so they think oh well, I can't because I I need a clutch I'm like no you don't you're going to have to adjust your riding
0: style but with trials for sure that was one of my complaints with the Africa Twin with the DCT yeah where the you couldn't. the manual one you could clutch it over a log or something and you can't with the DCT you just it just doesn't do it it just doesn't Wheelie with a, a whack of the throttle. Hmm. We're not going to talk about the Mugen Shinden Nana. No, no, no,
1: no, 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 no,
0: no, 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 no. Okay, and it's super, super sweet carbon fiber air forks.
1: Yeah, which and the w- cool little a- angle things that aerodynamic are aerodynamic. What do you call Vortex, vortex, vortex generating things. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: we're not going to talk about John McGuinness. No. Switching over to Michael Dunlop's racing team for yeah. for Super Sport. Okay. We are not going to talk about <laughs> Revzilla's in-house apparel line and what that means for apparel manufacturers. We probably In- should
1: talk about this, but we're just not.
0: In-house?
1: You didn't see this? I think I might have seen it. What so is there, it called? It's called Reacts. Oh, with the X. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I saw it. I didn't dig into it because it didn't really.
0: I went to the Cycle Gear yesterday and checked it out. Oh, it's it's out. It's out, out.
1: They were like, we're going to announce this, but we're going to get it into people's. We're going to not only announce it, but they didn't announce
0: it. That was a thing. That was kind of something I stumbled upon. Oh, okay. I think they're hoping to announce it or we're planning to announce it in the coming days. Okay. But um, all right.
1: Next time. So, Not, I think we're makes, just getting to you guys the the everything is just wedding pallets here at this, this time. This is like
0: prom night. It's just the tease. It's just mm-hmm. the tip. Just the tip. Um, Jonathan Ray is going to go race in the Suzuki Eight Hour on a factory Kawasaki team. And now, is this the first time Kawi has done a factory team in a while? This or something? is kind of the first year where any of the teams have done a factory team, like a true Works. dyed in the wool yeah. factory. This is coming out of. Kawasaki's i'd love to know why this is so team. important right now well because yamaha came in and for the last three years with a factory team has cleaned house yeah and i think the rest of the japanese brands are like oh no you didn't so honda's got a factory team this year kawasaki's gonna have a factory team and i think you can bet that suzuki will be giving the yoshimura and a couple of yeah. the other kind of top tier teams some extra love. let's go let's figure this we out should. every year every year we, we say we're gonna go a couple times i've we've been saying this for well, like four years and Jeez, it's already april i already got diamond medalli and so i'm gonna be up in delta one just like yeah. a baller okay well give me a flight then i actually if i get i can give you a companion path ticket let's do it let's get on this after the show all right
1: i want to go to Zuzugato. i want to go sweat my oh stuff my God. off it's so hot it's so sweaty
0: we lose so much weight it'd be great we're gonna I come know. back let's just rip like yeah. sean mcdonald's <laughs> just like two percent body fat <laughs> I don't have to look like Sean McDonald to do it. No, I? we're gonna grow beards. <laughs> we're gonna get. We're gonna get the douchebag haircut. I love you, Sean. I love you. But your hair. Let's talk about. Eminem called. He wants it back. Uh, but yeah, we're just gonna sweat out all of our gross yeah. old man body. Sure, <laughs> body sweat. Oh, gross. Uh, okay. What well, else are we talk? MotoGP season has started. World Superbike has started. Amazing races so far. Already, uh, yeah. Qatar was was maze boss. Don't want to give it away, Godavi.
1: Yeah, I mean that's it's. What do you mean, give it away? It's going to be like a month from the first time, the first race oh, by the time this goes out,
0: oh, right? Ye of little faith, huh? <laughs> well, it's already been like two weeks.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: fair enough. Okay. Uh, so yeah, where does that leave us? I just got back from Italia, where I was out with MV to riding the new Brutale Eight Hundred RR. Okay, and we didn't talk about this already? We didn't talk about this. Okay. We talked about last trip I went on, which was a Speed Triple. Okay, And we talked it. a little bit about the Alta MXR sure. and the Tiger 800. Yeah, got in it. In Moab. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we've talked about the base model Brutale before. Sure. It's not because too hard. Because you,
1: you had one here, and we yeah. rode it
0: around a bit. We, we rode
1: the stank out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed it, but it was kind of like not, it didn't do anything
0: uh, great. It wasn't like. I have to have this bike. It was just, oh, that's a decent bike to ride around. And I really like that bike. Sure. I, I kind of disagree yeah. with that. And, and for me, I've always wanted to hop on the RR because I think the things I don't like about the, the base motor are the things that I find a little lacking and the RR kind of fixes in, in terms of just, it's going to have more power. So did it? It definitely did. The, the problem was, and this is a great lesson on like having press launches, we ended up doing this route around a lake and we basically just did 30 miles an hour or less in traffic for five hours. Which isn't exactly great for like the RR super high spec, you know, Street Fighter bike. No. So that was kind of a bummer because we didn't really get to explore the brakes and the suspension and some of the things that define the RR from the base model. Um, that is bizarre. Like It it's just it's and we we 2018 I came back, gave them feedback, and they changed the route for the the rest of the people. But it still means I was kind of hosed on the on the situation. Got it. And they didn't have a track
1: lined up or anything. You would think,
0: right? That's like bizarre. the Pirelli test tracks, just like down the street. Ugh. So that's a bit of a miss. And it's unfortunate. Riding the bike, though, I was surprised at how similar they are. Maybe I shouldn't have been so surprised, but when you, I have two minds on this bike. Under European pricing, it makes a lot of sense. It's like 2,000, I think it's 1,900 euros in price difference, about 2,000 euros in price difference. And you look at it and you're like, yeah, okay, for about 2,000 euros, it makes sense. I get a little bit more power. There's a couple parts here quick that are a little different. Or something like, no, they both have quick shifters. Yeah. Uh, it's mostly like suspension settings and, and okay. things like that. Better wheels, maybe? No, that's the thing, right? No so you're like, why why don't you guys upgrade the wheels? Okay, why, just Then it's,
1: then it's whole it new graphics. Why socks
0: and Marzocchi? Why don't you put all on it? So it is a little like bold new graphics. It's mostly just engine changes. It's, okay. a, it's a. I mean, you went from 110 horsepower to 140. So it's a pretty big bump. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. And it's and it's completely different, like, where the power gets made. The yeah. the Brutale-based model, it's all mid-range. It's all below, yeah. um, you know, like sure. 8,000 or whatever. More power. Well, actually, Redline's line's at 10, so it's more like around 5 or 6. This Red Lens, the, the RR Red lens closer to 13, mm. makes all of its power around 10. So very different characteristics from the motor, and you're like, okay, for two grand, yeah, I get the sense. In the U.S., though, it's like a five or six grand dollar difference, and without like a suspension, you know, upgrade, without a wheels upgrade, without yeah. a brakes upgrade, mm. you kind of sit there and you're like, so what am I paying for? It yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense, and that's that's really hard. Like in Europe, I'd be like, yeah, the RR model, that's what you get all day long, and in the U.S., you're kind of just like, man, for that much money. Because well, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like 18 grand. Isn't 2,000 euros like $5,000 now anyway?
1: <laughs> no, not really. No. no, okay, not even close. I didn't know how, how bad the dollar has just had dropped off recently. Off the top of my head, like
0: 23, 2,500.
1: Yeah, it's, so Pretty it's close. not extreme. I, I haven't been paying too much, but I've been hearing enough bad things, especially in this... Uh, What is this for? The tariffs on the uh, aluminum and steel have caused some... That was another thing I had down here that we're not going to talk about.
0: Steel and aluminum tariffs. Okay. We can get to it if you want. Yeah.
1: I'm not really that bothered, but I'm just bringing that up as I didn't know if the dollar was... I know the dollar hasn't
0: been that strong, but I wasn't sure where we were at with it because I don't pay enough attention to it. The pound has really tanked because of Brexit. Uh, The dollar historically over the last couple of years has actually done pretty well against the euro okay uh and there might be a little bit of a fluctuation going the other direction right now but it's not a big okay got it not a big change all right so not enough to where the
1: this pricing makes any sense nah. in any
0: way shape, no or form. it's i think it's mostly MV goes to usa looking at how many bikes they're going to get how many people are going to buy them and being like hey if we're only going to get 20 bikes we've got 50 people that want to buy them yeah we can we can set the price yeah it just it's just tough it's just tough sitting there and looking at it so That bike was kind of like a a surprise for me and kind of a miss, especially since I went in with a lot of expectations. I still really like it. Yeah, I still think it's a really good bike. I would make some changes. A lot of of like my big complaints about MV was like their the user experience that hasn't changed. Really, I thought the dash was supposed to be better with this one. No, nope, same shit. Same shit. Um, really horrible dash. And you know, the cool thing is, is. I sat down with Ryan Gillen and talked about some of the things. He's the head of their Who's R&D that? and oh. tech. He's pretty much oh, the guy. That's that... Al Gillen's son. That's Williamsville Welding. Yeah. It's fucking weird. Just,
1: just a quick backstory. There was this shop that's well known in Ducati circles in like Buffalo, New York, yeah. or yeah. North North, North Rochester, Buffalo, yeah. or something like that, way up. And I think it's Buffalo. Upstate though. New York. Upstate. Uh, and this guy was well-known in Ducati circles for just being this rad old dude, and I think he's passed away. Uh, and we might have talked about him on the podcast before. I, I can kind of remember, did you already have a conversation with this gentleman before? Yeah. You've already talked. Yeah. So I apologize if, that's, uh, if it feels, that's... It feels new to me. Okay, well, anyway, they, the, one, the one thing that was of note was the... The shop didn't have indoor plumbing, and you had to go to an outhouse to go to the bathroom, <laughs> even up to whenever the last oh, time he man. was selling. But he was known for like selling Ducatis into Canada uh, and really screwing with the market up there. He would do all kinds of awesome shit because he was just <laughs> like, and he had, the, I guess, this gravelly, nasty voice like, fuck you, Ducati, right? And so everybody would make fun. I never got to meet him, but he's like storied. And it was really cool to find out that his son or his some progeny, some re- relative, was working as an engineer with MV Agusta. It sounded like what a neat
0: part of the industry that that happened. Brian's a rad dude, and we'll get to that. And actually, I do a podcast with him for for the Motor Podcast, which if you're not listening to already, dear listener, you should be. Uh, Right now, as of today, there's an interview with Giovanni Castigliani, who's the CEO of MV Agusta. The son of Claudio. son of Claudio Castigliani. Uh, And I think by the time this podcast drops, the one with Brian should be going up around the same time. Both of them really good listens. You should give them a a whirl. There's some really interesting stuff. Brian has easily forgotten more about motorcycles than I will ever learn and is a pretty rad dude and explains things really well. Giovanni basically lays out uh, where MV Agusta is going for the future. And and we're going to talk about that on the show a little bit, Quentin. Okay. Um, well, let's get to it. Keep going. So yeah, I was giving I was giving Brian some feedback, and it's cool to at least like be able to engage with the person who can affect the change. And I think they know what's up, and it's just a matter of convincing we, the Italians. Well, I think it's I think there's a little of that, and I think there's a matter of just like, yeah, we're gonna the next iteration is coming. Like it doesn't make sense to do it now, yeah, but yeah. we got a brand new bike coming soon. Like yeah. there's stuff in the works, but and, until that happens, it's, it is kind of like a it's kind of a mark. So yeah, I I mean, I like I like that bike. I don't know for eighteen grand if I'm buying one. I'm probably I know I'm not. I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy a Tuono. I'm gonna buy a Super Duke. There's a lot of bikes in that space. I'll probably buy a Speed Triple before I do it, just because I feel like the Speed Triple is offering me a bit more, Mm. especially in refinement. Mm. Uh, So that's that's tough. That's tough for them. They're gonna have to sort that out. Yep.
1: But. But if you're one of the 40 people or 60 people or whatever it is in the they, United States that wants the special thing, it wouldn't be a bad bike, and you'd be stoked. Especially if you're an MV Agusta. Uh, they, right? so yeah, sure. they
0: are so beautiful. Yeah, they that, are so beautiful. And that's the thing for me that would make sense. Like, if really money is no object, you don't care. Like, it's still a good bike. You're really going to enjoy riding it. There's a lot of pluses there. You're going to show up at your bike night, and people are going to be like, "Damn, that MV Agusta looks good." You're going to be really happy with what's in your garage. So I get it. Like, I, I don't, I don't give it like negative marks. It's just I was I had high expectations and I, they weren't yeah. met. So yeah. that is that is the problem of knowing Jensen. Anyhow, so the bike was a little bit of a or the the press launch was a little bit of a miss. But I got some good opportunities to sit down yeah. with Giovanni Castiglione and Brian Gillen. So so let's talk about the Giovanni interview first because that there was a lot of news that came out of that uh, that we got to break and others got to copy. Um, the big one being that. Uh MV is not going to have a superbike for a while. Yeah, so they're no, about no
1: su- no thousand change.
0: Well, the the current F4 1000 will do kind of the final edition later this year, which now, will which be Which I
1: swear we had talked about on the show. No, we did no, not? No. Okay. Um, so, it's going to be a CC, Claudio Castiglione version, it, it, which is what they right. made probably about 10 years ago, maybe 11 or 12 years ago. 2006. Exactly. I had one in the prion department of Motocorsa. It had sold for 120,000, 125,000 new. We were selling it. In fact, I think we sold it for 50,000 with like. 60 miles on it i got to brutal. ride it That's it was so brutal unreal well but that's you know what a lot of these things are i mean it's not but if you read the latest cycle world quentin you would
0: know that investing in motorcycles is a, is a better investment than bitcoin
1: that's bizarre
0: where did you read that that's a story and cycle world And it's literally it, it's got to be advertisement because it's one big bonthams auction jerk oh off. yeah yeah there it is okay
1: yeah i was like why, why would they say something that fucking ludicrous yeah Right. We, we we've touched on this, like, wow, R C thirty is worth maybe thirty five or forty grand now. Yeah. yeah. How much was fifteen grand they're, they're worth whole thing in nineteen like, ninety?
0: If you got the right broth Superior, the right Vincent, even yeah. if for, If just, you
1: could spend two hundred fifty fucking thousand dollars on a motorcycle, maybe you could
0: get make it some money out of yeah, no, it makes no sense. I would love to break down the uh the actual time value money on that. It's so insane. Yeah, and we we had brought it up. We've done this. Yeah, uh, but
1: but it's so interesting to hear that that's a thing. So the Claudio Castiglione version was wicked. It had a bunch of trick shit on it. Came with a jacket, came with a full exhaust system, came with a watch. And the watch was a big part of it that some people let theirs go or problems with the watches. If you didn't have the watch with the bike, then the bike wasn't worth very much. But I remember we got... (laughs) it from a Ferrari dealership for like, I don't know, somewhere in the low 30s maybe. Really? And we're able to sell it for 50 something. And that was really, it was, but it made sense because it got traded in on a fucking Ferrari and the person just didn't give a shit. And then the person that got it got a good deal. It just happened. So it's one of those things in motorcycling where sometimes you get a good setup and it's best to get them on a big expensive bike like that, right? I mean, it makes the most sense to try. And if you're fortunate enough to be able to buy a Desma Cdc-RR for Thirty thousand and sell it for 50 you know you can do that right if, if you're smart and you're watching the market a little bit or if you're privileged enough to be able to handle the problems with the bike if it comes in and has problems you see what i mean those are the risks that's so. more like
0: arbitrage than investment though arbitrage, and, there, and, and there's a s- very subtle difference in definition on uh, that. arbitrage, arbitrage. <laughs> Instead of, arbitrage. Uh, you say
1: you say arbitrage i say arbitrage Okay, well, anyway, this bike, if it's that, yeah, will so have like, he, it's a magnesium swing arm and a bunch of other trick, maybe, I don't know. I so, don't.
0: Here's, here's how Giovanni explained it to me. Take Leon Camier's World Superbike from last season, Yeah. put lights on it. Yeah, got it. So, so they're going to make, make it as trick as they can, it has a
1: different rear suspension system, it has a different swing arm, it has all kinds of trick shit on it, they're going to industrialize it and make it, there, boom, last, because what that bike's been out in its current form since probably 2010 or 11. A long time. Yeah. old. Heavy and they're heavy. Again, I had one of those as well. It was a year ago when I was dealing with this, or a year and a half ago, and it was bitching. All those bikes are bitching. They they look cool. They make the right sounds, but heavy. Not really like. Well, why am I going to buy that when I can buy an eleven ninety nine that will just tear it an asshole? Right?
0: I got to ride one at Auto Club Speedway a couple years ago, which was not a great. We didn't go on the oval, so it was just like the infield. The infield, yeah, which wasn't. Gross. A great place to ride, period. And it's not a great place not to ride, place. even if you go up on the oval. It's not yeah, a great place. Yeah, not to a ride. great place to ride a super bike. But a lot, at least, it gave me like a chance to to get some seat time on it. And I've spent some time on the old 750 version. Um, it's not a bad bike. It, it it's it's kind of like a lot of the bikes in the MV lineup right now. And I think this is one of the things MV is working on, where they just they just kind of show your age. And like you make a great example of like you can go out and buy an 1199. You put an 1199 right next to an F4 hey, you put the new Honda right next to the F4. Yeah. And it's kind of night and day difference in terms of like. Wow, completely. Look at the uh, semi-active Olin suspension. Look at this TFT dash. Look at this. Look at this 50 pounds less weight. I bet the Honda weighs at least 50 pounds less. Probably.
1: And that bike is rad. And you know me, I loved it on the on the Superbike Neth match. Oh, you wouldn't know that. Sorry.
0: <laughs> I got it all day. Just take your time. <laughs>
1: Okay, so bottom line is it's a badass bike, and I enjoyed it very much. Not a lot of people did because it didn't have it's, more power. I it's need the more best power. 600 I've ever ridden. Clinton. Yeah, right. Well,
0: that's what I love about it is that it's light. That's, and how right. they, that's Honda. If you're listening, this is how you market the CBR 1000. Just just change the numbers because they don't mean anything anyways. <laughs> We've KTM, Ducati, yeah, multiple right. brands have proven Yeah. Marna,
1: sure. These, these a don't 701? mean anything. no, it's not a seven oh one. No. Is it eleven ninety eight? No. Nah, no, I
0: don't even I don't even know what the seven oh one is. Six eighty seven or something stupid. Yeah. Um just just change it and call it your new six hundred. <laughs> It'll be like the best six hundred. It's got an IMU. It's got all these yeah, wheels. Sure. It's got it's the suspension. Light. You wouldn't be
1: able to tell it's not it's, a six hundred. It weighs right like
0: it. a six hundred. It acts like a six hundred. It makes it makes so much more power than a six hundred. Well, it doesn't actually. It makes about the same power as the six hundred. <laughs> that's a that's a superbike burn. <laughs> Too
1: bad it's not a death match burn.
0: Deathmatch burn. Okay, oh. well
1: uh bottom line MV is kind of waffling they decided ah fuck it we're not going to we're, we're not going to invest any no- more money time energy and effort for now into a superbike we're going to we're well, going to weather a, a certain amount of quite. storm not quite so
0: there's there's a bit of a story to it right so we all know the story of MV's kind of financial troubles and they've kind of like emerged from that now um, yeah, under blackwater or black, black ocean. ocean yeah uh, well rush- now it's Russian. it's comsar with oh man we could we could play some fun, like who connect the dots who it is. Do, stars, do any
1: of them know Robert Mueller at this
0: stage? Do you think? You think there you might be You know what? That that's like a legitimate thing I think could come out of the Mueller investigation. We find <laughs> like this weird Russian <laughs> Trump investment in MV Augusta Yeah, that would be true. Um, right? you never know. We'll find out. Freaking we'll, we'll Italians. There's gonna be some Mussolini references in there. Ooh. Il uh, Duce. They're too, gonna name their
1: next bike the Il
0: no, Duce. Too soon, Quentin.
1: Too soon. <laughs>
0: Uh. But no, so you have to kind of understand how long it took MV Agusta to, to get its finances in order and get its shit together. Oh, we haven't said get your shit together in a while. Get your shit together. Because mm-hmm. Aprilia's been doing an okay job. i have been doing a pretty decent job. Yeah. I, I saw some 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 stuff that made me think they're doing a pretty good job here in the North America area. Um, MV, you need to get your shit together. Sounds like they don't need kinda, to be told well, that. Well, that's the thing. They're, they're kinda, doing they kinda it.
1: They kind of are. MV, you're getting your shit together. You're getting your shit together. Look at you. <laughs> Look
0: at you go. So I think that delay is really what's kind of causing this, this whole thing where they're, they're basically not going to have a super bike on the market for 2019. Other than this Claudio special edition, final edition bike, they're not going to have a bike on the market. Sounds like for 2020 either. So. Yeah, gonna, when they sell like less be, than
1: 500 in the us a year or something uh,
0: still though i mean that doesn't matter because it also means they're not going to be racing a world superbike it sounds like this season for sure obviously 2019 probably 2020 almost definitely not so when that's, was the last
1: time you saw a triumph line up in a superbike
0: race right does it matter I, I i mean it doesn't matter well that and that's and that that was exactly what giovanni said and, and it was you should really hear the podcast and hear what he says because he's like uh, we know this doesn't work. It's been proven. It's it, been proven that race on Sunday, sell on Monday is not a thing. Not all the time, but but if you don't have a like, I would I I, I would agree with him. Look uh, at look at Ducati sales. Look because they've had just a losing streak for like the last five years and had record sales throughout the whole time. Yeah, but you look should, at what, Triumph. What we have
1: said quote unquote record sales being. Oh, two bikes more over fifty thousand no, for the past no. five years in a the row. The last
0: year or two, yes, that's been the case, but the two or three years before that, definitely not the case. So to to be fair, there's been some some pretty actual realized growth there. I and, think and I think you can look at brands like um KTM or or, or Triumph that don't necessarily have yeah. you know, racing programs but still sell a lot of sport bikes.
1: But they have like in the case of KTM, they have a racing program on the dirt side that keeps their their name high up on the these are winners and champions level, right? Yeah, uh, even if it is just dirt, it, it it insinuates to me that they're good at what they do and that if they make other bikes, they're gonna be rad. Triumph, it has confounded me that they have the level that they've had uh without any racing or minimal because you know the 675 was raced for a bit and they were pretty good when they were doing they weren't excellent but they were pretty good five by the way disappeared from the 2018 lineup which is so bizarre that Mm. that's completely gone that Mm. see that to me is bizarre but we've seen just sport bikes in general not really
0: that active yeah it's a victim of euro four there's a lot of talk about a 765 daytona coming out we'll see right well, this is the question with all this. It's
1: like, what is going on with sport bikes? Where is this market? Is it, it's still there. There's still
0: people riding them. You know, this is the interesting thing too that that Giovanni said that really struck me is one of the advantages they have is because their volume is so small, they can go after markets like a super sport market yeah. or, or you know, a street fighter market or, or like a hyper maxi motard, whatever you want to call it, hyper motard, maxi motard these really small niches where there isn't a lot of volume, but because they're in the space where like, Hey, we only really need to sell a hundred of these or a thousand of these or whatever it is. Sure. You know, we can go in and make, like, you know, I got some tips about what the new F3 is going to look like or, or the updates that are coming to the new F3 or or coming to the F3 line, I should say. And they're going to put an IMU on it. And what other super sport is out there right now with an IMU? And there's probably a lot of brands saying like, we just can't do that because of the price point because of yeah. what but you know, they the, can
1: because they can they're a premium
0: brand that can charge a premium price yeah, for because that because they can probably find, you know, however many hundreds or thousands of people that will pay 15, $16,000 for an F3 675.
1: And there's been an argument that the 899 and then 959, even though they're freaking thousands, no, those aren't super sports. That, but that's been them argument. That's Ducati has been like full on. These are the droids you're looking for. These are th- these are 600s. These are mid. These are super mid. They've been standing no. for years and selling pretty well with that
0: that no. cloak, right? They're just poor man Panigales. That's all they are. Yeah. Well, they're better in a lot of ways. Than, they are. They're right? not bad bikes. Sure. Don't get me wrong, but that's what they are. Their yep. price point. like, oh, you can't afford the full, the big boy bike. Here, have this. Here's yep. this. Yeah. Um. So that's interesting. It's interesting to see that MV is taking a step back from World Superbike. It's interesting they're going to take a break from the Superbike segment. We know that uh, we're going to see a 1,000 cc Brutale model later this year, probably at EICMA, but maybe earlier, maybe sooner. How long has it been since they would have a thousand Brutale? Well, I mean, I don't think they've ever had a true thousand Brutale. I think they've always been kind of up. You know, give or take 50 cc. Yeah, CCs. but it's using the
1: same engine of the uh, F4.
0: Did the, do they not Where's have... There's a 1090 right now. Okay, got but it. But this, this is a true, you know, it'll be, it'll be a four-cylinder, so it'll probably be like 998 cc, do 999 cc. Do think this CC. engine is going to be the same as the rest of them, or is this the new... This is the new
1: new. So it's new new, and this might be what the platform
0: is for the new... Oh, exactly. Okay. So they're going to come That's out the new... That's weird, because you're used to it the, the other way, right? right? So this new Brutale will be a 2019 model year bike. Then there'll be a 2020 model year bike that they're calling neoclassical, which I think is going to end up looking something like the dragster model that they have now. Mm. And then for the 2021 model year, then we're going to see the the new F4 Superbike. You don't think it'll look like the Walt Siegel
1: uh, MV Agusta instead of a, a dragster? Like neoclassical to me might mean that maybe they're going to put a fairing on the fucker with all these people that are doing the same as what we were talking about earlier with the... Uh, with the Suzuki Katana, the early 80s Suzuki Katana, I could see him saying, hey, we
0: got a lot of people who were really stoked on the Walt Siegel version. Maybe we should do this. It could be because, you know, again, you got to listen to the interview. Oh, that's the motor podcast. Um, I don't listen to podcasts, man. I know. You kill me. You kill me. <laughs> um, he, You know, Giovanni does say, like, it's like a cafe racer, but we don't do cafe racers here. So I don't know how to... Yeah. And, then, and then the word he used with us later at the launch was neoclassical. So I don't really know what that means. That's post heritage. It's, it's going to be post authentic. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Well,
1: uh, get something to look forward to. Something to look forward All to. Right, we've spent enough time on Envy Augusta. We're not done yet. Oh, God. But I'll,
0: I'll help transition you. I'm yeah, going to throw you a bow a here. Let's do a transition. Kajiva.
1: Oh, yeah. kagiva right. K- Kagiva. Kagiva, Which is neat. So going moto.
0: Going electric moto, isn't it? Is that true? Yeah. So... So oh This is an interesting <laughs> Can thing. Can I talk about this? <laughs> I know, right? So this is an interesting an interesting thing. Um, how do I want to describe this? So so they're going to bring back the Kajiva brand. Because it's owned by the Castigliones. It's owned by the Castigliones. It's owned by MV Agusta. This is a mark that they still own. And it's going to be more off-road focused. And one of the things that Giovanni was really clear is like, electrics really aren't going to be an MV thing. MV is really all about engines and fire and going 300 miles an hour and all this craziness fire thermic thermic engines but he's but he's definitely realizing like electrics are coming into the space we need to have electrics manufacturers need to have electrics yeah so what can we do with it he's like the kajiva brand is going to be a good spot for this and there's a lot that it sounds like he wants to do because it sounds like at some point there's going to be a new elephant and i think that's about three to five years out and that sounds like maybe it might be a gas bike and for those of you who don't
1: know the elephant was Kajiva's Kagiba. Kajiva's. Um, <laughs> it, it, was, it was an adventure tour before advent, the adventure touring market was. I mean, BMW had the, the GS's in the 80s, but this was like the first replica Paris Dakar bike yeah. that was badass. This is the original
0: Multistrada.
1: But for sure. And at the time, if you look it up now, look up uh, Lucky Strike Kajiva Elephant. And um, I, mean, I think you have to say Elephant. Elephant. Um and it has ah, the, oui. the dual the dual headlight from the era looked like the the era super bike, but with the dirt. Oh, it was rad. They're all rad. All that era of Paris Dakar, whether it be the Honda, um, the Honda Africa Twins, the Yamaha Tenere's, they were super awesome. All of them, all of them. So if you check this out, and they won, I think in '89 or '90 they won the Paris Dakar.
0: Like three times, I think, with the Kajiva.
1: Yeah. And one of them's still in the Ducati museum. It uh, is, and it, you know it had a Ducati engine, it had a yeah. 900 SS engine yeah. before the 900 SS was even in existence. I think um, it's cool before cool's cool. Yeah, super rad. I love them. I think they're cool. So I'd be excited to see what they come up with because for me, the Multistratas and the other various adventure touring bikes. Um, look like shit to me over the course of time they've not aged well I'm not really a big fan of the the way most of these bikes look I like the Honda the Africa Twin looks better than most of them so I'd be excited to see what an Italian fern can come up with because like the MV Agusta version what was the one that they came up with that was more, Trismo Veloce yeah, and it's just like pretty but not didn't do the thing so I'll be interested to see what which is very much with. an on road bike and I'll be riding. yes and the, that, so that's what I'm excited by is the idea of a true off road like this yes. they're gonna make this badass right
0: and I'll be riding the new Trismo Veloce in a couple weeks. Very actually. cool. In South Africa? No. Uh, probably, I don't know where it is yet. They haven't told me, but it's probably up. Italy. Right on. Uh, and I, there's actually some big changes coming for that. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, you heard that here first.
1: Oh,
0: okay. Uh, I don't even think I've put that on asphalt and rubber yet. Oh, wow. Uh, but yeah, so Kajiva, there's, there's, there's a really interesting strategy in my mind for this because one, there's like an electric element, but two, there's also this idea of, and, and, Stefan Perrier from um, KTM was probably the first person I've heard talk about this, but I don't think he's the first person in the space. But there's just this idea of there needs to be a motorcycle or something that's motorcycle-like that sits in between small displacement dirt bikes or small displacement street bikes and bicycles and e-bikes more, more specifically. Yeah. So it sounds like Kajiva will probably have some sort of e-bike component yeah. and then it'll have this... Quasi e-bike slash mini moto. I shouldn't say mini moto because it's not going to be mini, but this, this, this this hybrid kind of thing, the category that doesn't really exist yet in the space, but we're seeing KTM and now MV goes to work on it. And I'm sure there's other brands working on it. And then we're going to see kind of like a dirt bike a full dirt bike range that leads up to a bike like the elephant. Are we going to talk about
1: Yamaha introducing all their e-bikes recently and you not going to that because Yamaha are
0: a bunch of stupid assholes? Um, no, I wasn't going to go too far down that just because, um, they're not the only ones doing it. It's really kind of funny to see how many motorcycle brands have a branded bicycle. Yeah. In fact, KTM has a shit ton of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're Triumph a good, does. Sure. Ducati does. Um, KTM's got some e-bikes. Everyone's kind of got an e-bike. But the space. Yamaha but, ones are like the they're... one. The one thing to say about Yamaha is Yamaha came up with its own e-bike drivetrain, which yeah, is different. Sure, and, and that's why I think it was of note and it's worth talking about. Smart, smart for them to do that. Um, yeah, I think it's good. I haven't ridden any of them, obviously. Um, probably never will. So can't really speak about it. But you know, hey, how are your sales doing?
1: <laughs> All right? Well. That's the deal. So that's why I thought maybe it was of note for Kajiva if they're going to do something like this. There, I, there's a precedence for it that the e-bike market right now is huge. And there's if I see posts from mountain bike friends posting up pictures of uh, trail markers where there are, people are talking shit about e-bikes or no e-bikes are allowed because people think it's cheating or they think there's going to be damage to the environment because the e-bikes are now part of a trail because they have they have pedals on them. But they're uh,
0: assist. But they can do like 50 miles an hour, and then
1: give you an assist if you want an assist. And you're like, I want to go get some exercise. I want to go to these places, but I can't usually get as far as I want because I don't have the training or I don't know whatever it is. There's a million different reasons why I would want to have something like that. Uh, That's why they exist in the space, especially on the mountain bike side.
0: I think. I think the motorcycle brands are looking at this and they're realizing that there's a burgeoning kind of market that's growing and. And if you want to take a step back and talk about kind of where the motorcycle industry is headed and how we kind of save the motorcycle industry, I think understanding that this is the shift in transportation that we've been kind of forgetting. Look at this growth in e-bikes. Why is it growing in e-bikes and not motorcycles? Well, let's understand a couple things about the advantages that a bicycle has, but also a couple of the advantages that electric drivetrains or that power drivetrains have and how this is kind of being a mishmash. So I think for... Envy Agusta and KTM and any other brand that's looking at this kind of new, not a bicycle, but not a motorcycle segment, I think there's a lot of growth there. And I think that's how we onboard some people into the industry would say, yeah, okay, you got a bicycle, you got an e-bike, you want something a little bit more, you want to go hit that trail, but instead of having like a power assist, you know, now you can kind of go electric for, you know, however many miles. But it's only like a hundred pound vehicle or something, yeah. And it's not it's not as robust as a full dirt bike, but it's more robust than a downhill mountain bike, and it's got power. And that starts opening things up. And then it's like, oh, you like this? You like this thing? Well, now I've got a true blue motorcycle for you to get on. That's either electric or it's gas. And look at the options that this opens up for you. You know, this is like this is like kind of giving them the heroin for free. Like, oh, you like a taste of that? You like a hit of that? Okay, now I come to Daddy. Now I got a whole thing for you. I Got a whole lineup from fifty CCs up to five hundred yeah. CCs, two sure. stroke, four stroke, electric, whatever's going to get your whistle going, whatever your fix is, man. I'm your guy. I'm your pusher. I'm your moto monger.
1: Almost seems like the uh, uh, the brothers there at Alta could go on. They're like, hey, we should we should get in on having a a, a branded thing, you know, because that I way it gets them in. Think
0: there's a very smart play for your company there. So, hopefully, someone's listening. I don't know. I don't know. So, interesting, interesting things coming out of Italy. Uh, listen to the interviews of Giovanni and Brian. They're they're really fascinating, uh, if I can toot my own horn. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff there. There's articles on ANR if you want to read more. I'm pretty excited about this brand and where they're heading now. I think the, the game plan is the right one. It's going to come down to execution. That hasn't always been MV Gusta's strong point. So I'm a little reserved on that, but I'm optimistic, Quentin. I'm an optimist. Good.
1: I'm glad to hear it.
0: Yeah. Do you want to talk about that Triumph Scrambler 1200 that people saw? Or is this a story that we're not going to talk about? I don't know anything about it. Really? Uh, oh, you got to see this. It's it's It is a shot across the bow oh i
1: did see that and i'm just so gross. i'm so grossed out by really? triumph yeah I, that, i'm so
0: stoked for it yeah i looked at it I'm I so like, stoked. oh
1: that's tragic i don't want anything to do with that really yeah i don't even know you right now uh, Morphodite, who are you Morphodite bike
0: oh it's man.
1: that parallel twin engine is so shitty to me that i just can't get any i can't but it's a good engine though that's the thing is it it, it doesn't suck it doesn't suck that would be what i put <laughs> on its gravestone it didn't suck it didn't suck uh, uh, i don't know i guess we'll get read out some specs like what do you we, think we th- no have no specs. no no that's what i'm saying so if you oh, oh, oh if it's heavy because it's this piece of shit engine then it's going to be heavy and who gives a shit right there,
0: there's a little bit of i do worry how heavy it's going to be uh, uh-huh but yeah. I, I think it's going to be in the wheelhouse of the desert sled is it
1: do you really think so because the I desert really sled. how much is a desert sled weigh? 370 that's pretty good it's pretty good it's really good is it really only 370 i don't know if that's dry or wet yeah i would imagine it's got to be more than that but hey wait whatever it's still it's an That's air probably a dry bike. weight isn't it i would assume so because thinking about the structure of that bike i don't know enough about it but i would imagine uh-oh jensen's gonna do some clicking we're gonna have a moment I of silence. Can't,
0: i can't click because my laptop's in the shop and i gotta i gotta so i'm poking on my ipad here jensen's good at poking i'm pretty good at poking no i, wanna, I don't wanna brag <laughs> You know, I don't know what, what your mom's told you, but uh, Ew. I'm pretty pretty good poking. 207 wet, 190 dry. Huh? 207? K- kilograms. So 207, ah. 440 wet, 450 yeah. wet. Okay.
1: That makes sense. I yeah. get that. That makes sense. Sure. So if Triumph can come close to that, good on them. Yeah. It, and they might. They, they, they might be able to, but I'm just thinking that engine being such a fucking lump. Is it the is it the one that's in the Bonneville? So twelve hundred.
0: It's twelve hundred. It's in it's, the Bonneville. It's gonna be the high probably the high torque version of that sure. engine. So we're talking hundred horsepower range, hundred foot pound range too, though. It makes really good torque. Hmm. Um there'll be some sort of Steve McQueen tie
1: in and there can be lots of dark green and whatever.
0: Brown leather. You're so poopy. You're so poopy. I'm stoked for that bike. I think that's that because it looks like it's an actual machine that you could go desert sledding with go do the the thing you know do that bar style Vegas jammer mostly all right poopy my poop pants (laughs) Uh, all right we'll get to the story I know you really want to talk about you want to you want to tell our listeners Oh, about the uh, track day thing? Yeah.
1: Okay. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I see a post from multiple sources. And this was internal to the company I work for, and this was on the internets. And people were banding about this uh, uh, GoFundMe with a, a name I cannot pronounce. The gentleman that runs a, a track day organization called Kegwins, which is or Kaguins, I don't even know how to pronounce that. But this person uh, was trying to get a GoFundMe together to fund a um i don't know what you call defense of a lawsuit that was brought about kaguins uh where a um customer of theirs had run off the track during a track day hit some object which i think was a sandbag Sandbag. off the track at laguna seca raceway a couple years ago was this in 2015 or 16 something like that and so the the person crashed broke their leg and then decided to sue uh, everybody that they could. Uh, and at, I think at first it was Scramp and Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca, even potentially Mazda. They were going after everyone as this is how lawyers work, right? This is how our horrible legal system works. It's like, oh, you can do this here. I'm going to start here, start from the top. And when they get shut down, then they keep going down as far as they can go. And in this case, they won, or uh, at the time, was it Monterey, uh, the the city or county or whoever could dismiss it dismissed the lawsuit against Laguna sake and Scramp right back in 15.
0: yeah so the the code of evidence were removed from from the case by the Monterey County Court so okay. it only leaves Caguins now that's under appeal but right now it's it's this gentleman Daniel Kim and Kaguins that are that are headed to court. So or. in the beginning,
1: it was Daniel Kim, or, who, who are still
0: parties to the suit. That would be the best way to describe. Who it.
1: listed all of the things I just listed and Keguin's all in one thing, and the rest of them were were they were they were dismissed by, what is it? Is it Monterey County? Yeah, this is in Monterey County Superior Court or whatever. So that leaves Keguin's. So this dude had posted up, hey, I'm, I I need help, and this he implored. Uh, the rest of us to say to, to, and it, uh, uh, fairly so that hey, this, this leaves everybody in danger of not being able to race or do track days at racetracks. If you can get sold, um, uh, uh, if you can get sued for an object off the racing surface being the, you know, being the cause of a crash or, you know, insinuating that that would be the, the case. Um, and that was legit. But at the same time, I was kind of like creeped out by, well, why Why is this person doing it? GoFundMe uh, annoy me a lot of times. Not every time, but a lot of times. And I wondered, it's like, okay, this person had enough money to buy Kegwin's the track day organization. So why the hell are they coming, you know, desperately looking for money to defend themselves? So there's the first, th- that was my initial like, uh. but then the second was like, oh my God, what an awful person that this this Kim person is to sue a track day organization for something like this, um, knowing what I know about how track days work. So that's where we're at. And I want to know, because the whole time I was like, well, I should post this up to the two enthusiasts. But I didn't want to. I was like, I'm not. I'm going to see how this goes first. Then just last week, uh, Mark Gardner wrote a story. Uh, Mark Gardner works for RevZilla, uh, and he's uh, kind of a known uh, industry scribe. He wrote a story about it and it was okay. It wasn't as detailed as I would have wanted, which was I was like chomping at the bit to hear your take on it. So, and thus the floodgates are opened.
0: You're going to be so disappointed. I'm sure. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I think it is professionally irresponsible to talk about it. And and this is, this is something I got into. So this happened yesterday at the time of this recording. And I mean, I can count the number of times in my life where, like, the red mist has, like, literally just, like, consumed me. I was livid that I saw that Mark wrote this story. Why? Uh, I think, one, from a journalistic point of view, I think it's inc- it's professionally irresponsible. Especially for someone like Mark, who's—and who, understand, like, I've already had a conversation offline with Mark. We had a great conversation last night. I look forward to going to the next motorcycle press launch. who's with me in Italy with MV Agusta. Yeah. Look forward to going and riding with yeah, him. Yeah, got it. Love the guys RevZilla, all that stuff. So I understand there's there's a certain level of uh, professional collegialism that still exists here. It's like like we're all in the same family. Sure. But I was livid. I was so livid that he wrote it. And Mark Mark tells a great story, and he does, you know, he does kind of old school journalism where he does a lot of research, and and this is that's all good. But one of the things I have issue with with RevZilla and the Common Tread blog is they do this whole "we're not journalists" thing. We're not journalists. And we've talked about this before on our show, Quentin. Yeah. And I think that's a bit of a cop out and under their definition of journalism, the only people that would really be journalists are war correspondents or people that sit in the white house press briefing room. And even then some of those people might not be journalists. So that's a really narrow definition to, to use that word under. I would say if people are showing up to be informed by the story that you've written, you are a journalist. If if your number one result is informing people, you're a journalist. If even if you do that with a slant of entertainment, like let's say like the Daily Show does, where we're still giving you news, but we're comedians telling you the news, I'm like well, you're still journalists. You're just very funny journalists. Yeah, true. So so don't give me that. But what I took issue with is there is so much legal stuff here that uh, and Mark is a layman to the legal industry that a layman would just not understand. Yeah. Which is why I glossed over it in such a way, I was like, well,
1: that doesn't, that digs into all the who's, who, when, what, where, why, and how, but not the
0: real deep part and, of it. And it's right? not just so much that that there's a layman's understanding, it's because there's a layman's understanding that you lose the nuance and you start introducing things that I think are just quite frankly prejudicial. And you prejudice the facts, you prejudice the public opinion. And you're in tr- that story, Luis Dye read it. And what got me so angry was, you were trying this Daniel Kim person. You were trying the Kaguin's track day in the court of public opinion, but doing so without understanding what's relevant and what isn't and what's prejudicial and what should be, what should be kept out because of its prejudice and things like that. You're taking all that away and, and what you end up with is going to be pitchforks at dawn. And you know, as of like this morning, there was like 200 comments and all of them are the exact result that, you know, and I know click, Mark, click,
1: click, like, like, and like I know Mark <laughs> knows it
0: because I know it as an editor to do. And I know Lance, the editor of Revzilla, knows it. like this story is gonna be inflammatory. This story yeah. is gonna cause a, a kerfuffle. Yeah. This is gonna be a thing. And yeah, you get the clicks, and that's great. And oh yeah, enter- you know, if we're just an entertainment blog, all we care about is the clicks. But there is a duty there that is being neglected as a journalist to say, like, hey, I can't tell this story in a way that is fair and and someone like myself there's i can think of three motorcycle journalists that have law degrees and i can tell you i mean none of us have touched this story and i don't think any of us will touch this story and i think if we did we wouldn't do it in such an analysis way to 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 adjudicate this story in the public because even even myself with with a really strong knowledge of tort law and and, and understanding the the nuances of running track days and having both the advantages of knowing motorcycles and knowing the law and how this is going to play out. I wouldn't want to do that because I just, it just, it just to me is really, really, really irresponsible from a journalistic point of view to, to even be discussing it. And, and also knowing as like a publisher, knowing what that's going to do in the space, knowing that this is going to cause pitchforks at dawns in the comment section, knowing that there's going to be threads on Facebook and threads and forums and people, you know, just latching on it. Cause it's so easy for people to see, Oh, he's suing for $15 million. Oh, fuck that guy. Fuck lawyers. Lawyers are horrible. And it's like, I always come back to you like, yeah, you remember that old lady that sued McDonald's because her coffee was too hot. Oh yeah. Fuck that. That's, that's Did the problem. You ever see the pictures we we need her? tort reform. Did you know the coffee was like 200 degrees and she had third degree burns and she was an old lady. And if you've seen the photos of it like fucking like gross, the, yeah, some sure. of the grossest things you you've ever seen in your yeah, entire life, yeah. go Google it, go Google it. And then tell me that her case didn't have merit. At the end of the day, and this is this is how I I don't really want to talk about this case, but there's certain elements that I think are worth discussing. When you look at something like a track and one of the first things I did after I finally like, calmed down, I like emailed a couple of people, I had a couple of conversations, I went and talked to one of the track day groups here in Portland that that I work with, and I said, okay, so what are we going to learn from this video? So let's let's talk about, or what are we can learn from this case. Let's talk about. Um, and this is how I think I want to approach this, this story is not talk about the story, but give some examples of of things that we know. Sure. So I think PIR actually is a great example and and is a great analogy to this. So PIR turn Portland international Raceway, Portland international Raceway, our home track stone throws away from our houses has this, uh, cement wall. That's really close to one of the faster turns. Every nine though. It's not, I mean, it's it's all over the place, but hold on for a second because this is, this is what makes it relevant. We all know turn nine, if you crash there, you're going to have a bad dam. You're going to hit a cement wall to the point that when there isn't an air fence there, most track day groups, I'm going to say most, but I think it's all, say no, no passing, passing. Yeah. through these turns. This is too dangerous of a turn. It is too risky that if something bad happens here, if two bikes come together and and the danger escalates when there's pass when you get two bikes next to each other you've added enough dynamic situation there that more bad things can happen we're going to eliminate that risk we're going to say no passing here because if you did have a an issue and you crash you're very likely to get very very injured we can't eliminate the danger this is how the track was built we can't you know this is this is there's cement walls everywhere at pir there's inherent risks to every motorcycle track nothing's perfect but we know that this spot here is especially dangerous when we don't have air fence. So we're going to set up some rules, and we're going to make you aware of those rules in the rider meeting, and everyone knows no passing here. It doesn't matter what uh, category you're in, what rider group yeah. you're in, and if no you do, passing. we will black flag you, will you, or, or there will matter. be consequences. There will right? be consequences. And I I'm think that's a great example that's that's very analogous where we mitigate an issue by informing our riders. And we set up as much protective measures when we can. When the air fence is available, we run an air fence. Not always the case. So then we mitigate by saying like, hey, this is a thing here. And you can go out and you can see it on the siding laps. But is it
1: a legal requirement? No. It seems like they're just doing a favor to the rest of us. And to me, I look at that as a favor. But here's... Because if I just pass somebody on the outside and high side into that wall, that's
0: my responsibility. Well, here's And this is the difference between negligence and gross negligence. And this is the crux of it. So when you sign a waiver in the United States, you can't sign away gross negligence. But gross negligence is a very high bar. Yeah. So that's why, like, oh, I signed a waiver. A waiver protects people from a lot of things, but it does protect you from gross negligence. So the issue isn't so much whether or not PIR has this... Uh, K wall, the cement wall too close to the track because you signed a waiver you said you understood that this is a racing environment this is a track day this is inherently dangerous blah 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 the issue is whether or not not telling someone or not noticing it or not doing something that was so obvious that in itself escalates from regular negligence to gross negligence and that's like the same reason why if someone dumps oil on a turn, you red flag the session. The teams go out there. They sweep it up and do another thing. They don't bring people in and say, hey, guys, there's oil in turn three. So just tiptoe your way through turn three. And you should probably be take it easy through turn four and turn five because you're going to have oils on your wheel. No, no, no. You've now created an environment that is so dangerous to a motorcycle. And, and the risk of that motorcycle crashing has increased so dramatically and is so beyond what is normal for a situation you need to clean it up you have to remedy that situation before you put motorcycles back on the track because if you didn't it would be grossly negligent to do do so because it would be so likely that someone would crash and injure themselves because of this added thing to the environment that it's on you now and i think that's the part that people miss it would be it would change things a lot if something was said during the riders meeting hey guys don't pass in turn 9 someone passed in turn 9 and they crash okay well here you go or or, or I show up late for the try riders meeting. I don't know about the passing rule, turn nine. I go on the track. I pass in turn nine and I cause an accident. That's on me to a certain extent in terms of a liability point of view. I wasn't given. I, I didn't hear the instructions. I didn't show up for the mandatory writer's meeting. Now that brings up a whole nother issue of why was I allowed on the track in the first place? So it actually kind of spins it, which is kind of why I say like, I don't necessarily think the writer's meeting thing exculpates, but if no one says anything in the riders' meeting about not passing in turn nine, then me missing the riders' meeting and passing in turn nine really isn't, it's, it's really not yeah. an issue. It's, yeah, it's kind sure. of a moot point at that point.
1: So, but I look at that's a sandbag or a wall or a, anything that's a, even, even not permanently fixed, but a, a thing that's offside of the track that's off the track. That's part of the risk. Well, I mean. I mean, there's yes, no, there's yes, not no, even a question. You, of you and I
0: both know, like you, you and I have both run off a of track at some a point A lot, time. yeah, I guess. I okay? guess there's the deal, so, so I've there, crashed a there's lot. There is a difference of if I crash in turn nine where that wall yeah. is very close to the track and I hit that wall and you're like, okay, like pretty much you crash in turn nine, and you're hitting that wall and that's going to be bad news bears. There's a difference from that and whether or not I crash in turn three or four where it's still a similar speed turn, but there's a lot more runoff and i'm far less likely to hit the k wall at the end of that because that k wall is hundreds of feet away or however far away it is and there's yeah, tires yeah but, but you might hit a hit, hit a, a hole
1: in the in the in Bowl? the grass that was dug up by an armadillo well not on sorry not in texas dug up or goose shit there's goose shit on the track at portland you can and and, and, that's, and it's off the line and if you happen to be off the line and in the goose shit and they people will warn you about it. you get warned about it, but would somebody? Th- this is what will worry is that this would set a precedent for somebody saying well, you are grossly negligent for not cleaning the goose shit, not not cleaning like what's basically force majeure off the track. It's like
0: well, there's going to be goose shit, right? I, I mean. I think there's an argument about the goose shit there. That's the problem. That's, this is, this no, is the, I, I don't think because here at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's going to make track day organizers have to be more responsible, which for is their okay. And I and I get that that's part because of the thing. Because there there is a lot of amateurs masquerading themselves as professional professionals. In it's the track a problem. Day it's groups. a problem. So that's one thing is, I'd say is good about. about and this all is what this. I went back to to this track group that I work with. I said, hey, we should probably come up with a script an SOP. These are the things that you say every time and you click, click, click the box. Yeah, sure. And to CYA, we should probably video you doing the writer's briefing. yeah To right. say like, hey, no, Bob, Bob said A, B, and C. And here's our script that says A, B, and C. And here's video proof of, of him, doing, of him it doing it, it on the March day 30th 2018. Right. Yeah, And that's probably the level. And here's of,
1: your signing in at X amount of time. Yeah, And that sucks. But, it sucks if, to feel like that has to be a thing. But track day
0: organizers aren't inspecting the tracks that they're sending people out on, I have no issues with with them getting sued. If track day organizers aren't informing their riders of inherent dangers, I don't mind them getting sued for that. If track day providers are letting people on the track that haven't been to a rider's meeting and haven't been briefed on what the rules of that group are, I don't mind them getting sued for that. If track day organizers are letting people not sign waivers... I don't mind them getting sued for that. If track day operators operate in a way that is so negligent that it's considered gross negligence and understand that this is such a high bar, I'm okay with them getting sued for that. Now, do I think that, hey, I crashed at a track day and I'm gonna go sue them? No, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think there is a certain amount of personal responsibility. I've crashed a lot at the track and most of those times, in fact, all of them were my fault. So you have to have a certain amount of responsibility, but there is a certain point of like, people have to be accountable on both sides yeah, I don't know if I agree 100%, but I definitely see your point, and I like that as a good point. I look at the result, and I, and I knew this the second I saw the story, and that's part of what made me so happy. I'm like, this is going to achieve nothing except give Revzilla clicks and stir up people against the the person who's bringing the suit because of the way the story was was told and written. And Mark's a fantastic storyteller. He could convince you that the sky is green on a bright blue sunny day. Because he's 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 a great he's a great storyteller. He's a great narrative. He puts together a great narrative. So I look at that. And I'm like, that's a very powerful tool that's being used in a very irresponsible way. And that's where I'm at on this. And I, I
1: I'm I'm with you there. But my my brain that keeps clicking back into the personal responsibility side of it. If it was on track, yeah. If it was something even curbing,
0: yeah. But if it's off track, all bets are off for me. It's very black and white but, in that way. But for it's me. not black and white because. It's one this is what I was trying to illustrate before. It'd be one thing if it was a hundred feet off track. Is it a different thing if it's Literally right next to the track. If it's a, yeah, foot, it's away, not. If it's uh, a foot away I, from the I've track? I've ridden
1: around with enough rocks and sandbags and shit on the sides of tracks. I know not to go off the track, right? And I know that if but, but these are the you, risks I take by getting, clicking that you thing in. Is off gear. the track
0: a foreseeable thing? Do, Absolutely. People, do people go off the track every day at a track uh, uh, day? Unfortunately, it'll okay. often for Q. Yeah. We talk about big track of willows. You go off the track of big track yeah, of willows. You're going to hit some shit. If you shit. go 150 feet or so, you're going to start hitting some shit. And then you're going to hit a burn. And then
1: you're going to die. And then you're going to go over the berm and over a wall and die, and that's happened. Right. And that person can't sue because they're dead, but that's well, the way so it's that one goes. Thing,
0: it's one thing if it's like that where it's 100, 200 feet down the line of runoff. Yeah. Now imagine if that berm was right next to the track. What would we talk about then? Will we even have a track built Well, like that's, that? the, that's the issue. You talk about the target fixation. Target fixation is a rider issue. Yeah. Not knowing it's there, that's not a rider issue. Yeah. Especially when you're in an environment like, hey, this is a track. This is a safer place than the street. This is a place designed yeah, and that's often for doing what this True. thing. And
1: frankly, over the course of the past couple of decades, track days have become so normalized and ubiquitous that I think there are a bunch of extremely... Unprofessional track day organizations out there, and and it is it is probably a good thing that maybe they're going to have to tighten their shit up. But I would worry that a lot of them might have to go away. A lot of good ones would have to go away, and a lot of racing organizations would have to go away. I don't think because they would be worried about you know putting a sandbag in a place that needs to have a fucking sandbag on the side of the track.
0: No, I don't think that's going to be the case at all. I think if anything, I think track day organizations are just going to have to tighten up their shit and be like, hey, okay. We need to make sure we go out before we send a bike out. We need to make sure we go out and circulate on a car. We, may, we need to yeah. make sure we get out of that car in certain places and inspect... No, we need to go walk the fucking track. Walking the right? track would be walk ideal. The track. But you that gotta, would be how I do it. You have I to I'm inspect did. the track and define that however you want as def- effective. You need to understand and communicate dangers to your patrons, your, your riders. You need to have operations in place for what do you, you know what is your writers meeting writers meeting briefing going to look like what is it what is the boilerplate that you're always going to have and what are the types of things you need to ad hoc add in because of day-to-day circumstances you need to have an understanding of what your waiver protects you from you need to have an understanding of what happens okay people need to sign the waiver to come to track. i've been attracted so i've never signed a waiver yeah you know and i uh-huh. sit there and i just look at them like how lax are you guys? That I got on your track without a waiver, and not necessarily. And I wasn't necessarily showing up as Jensen Beeler asphalt and rubber. I was showing up as just Jensen Beeler. They didn't know who I was. I didn't have my leathers on. I wasn't there for a press thing. I was just doing a track. Was day. there any even proof that you had paid for? There it? There was nothing. Yeah. And and there's some interesting things on whether or not you pay and how that changes the oh, legal yeah, the legal arrangement. Although. I think, I think you're just making arguments. I don't think at the end of the day it's going to change a legal outcome. If you just show up and
1: illegally get on the track, that has nothing to do with them, does it?
0: Or does it? Because they're so lax that anybody can just show up and go look on the track. <laughs> oh, what that a, cuts both what ways. What a thing, yeah. That cuts what both thing. ways. In fact, sure. I think it only cuts the latter because it just shows to... Of like, hey, yeah. this is how loose, this is how grossly negligent we were. Yeah, that we didn't even know that someone that hadn't signed and paid for us was on the track, and obviously had never been to the riders' meeting, and obviously could have had yeah. a bike that wasn't tacked, and blah 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 blah
1: Unless you show proof that they had stolen the sticker that they need to get on the track or something like. Even,
0: that. Even, I mean, you would really, you'd have to show. Proof. There'd be a real burden there. Yeah, huh. there'd be a real burden. Um, so I and don't I think hate this that. is this is really going to have any bad outcomes for track day organizations i see it's only going to have good things truthfully because it's going to say hey you're gonna have to tighten your shit you're gonna have to have an sop if someone misses your riders meeting are they allowed to go on the track or do you give them a certain another rider's briefing and what does that rider's briefing look like so you know i think for for a lot of the space it's just it's gonna and that's probably going to end up getting dictated to these track day organizations by their insurance companies or by the tracks themselves say hey hey, Bob, you can't be fly by night anymore. If you want this insurance policy, we need to see some documentation of, you know, Bob signing off. Bob did inspection on on May 28th. Bob informed track day, you know, people at riders meeting. Here's a list of all riders and tenants in the meeting. Here's all the waivers, you know. D- 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 it, here
1: here's your communication to the track noting the the safety problems so that the track can then also take note of them and, that and is puts whole, the onus on the track as well that's a, little, a whole other right? side of it that oh, we have so much into. going
0: on uh, so there's a lot there's a lot there and to treat it so flippantly I wasn't going to say flippantly, but I was going it's to say. Flippin'. I think there's a
1: flippancy to it. When I first saw this, it got put it posted up to a Slack channel by my good buddy, Lewis. And I was like, uh-huh, Louis. Uh, Louis. Uh, so I was like, I actually, you'd be proud of me. I was like, be careful with this one. Don't just go throwing money at this yet. This It reeked when it's I McDonald's. saw it. It reeked. It's right-
0: McDonald's coffee.
1: That it it reeked in the beginning, and I and I saw the reeking, but and you know it, it caught me on both. That's why I was so profound for this one because it's both sides for me. One side is yeah, yeah, you need to watch out for this. The other side is fuck that guy, right? And it's such a back and forth. So that's why I was so stoked to hear, and I'm glad that even though you didn't want to talk about it, that we've talked about it plenty. Talked about it more than I wanted to, but no, I think uh, I think. The- but you did it in a good way. You did it by in in, in showing the why why you didn't want to talk about it, and you've 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 made the case very well for why. That is a bad side of it and that why it sh- should be, <sighs> frankly, why the reporting needs to happen afterwards or it would need to be in more in-depth reporting or somebody would just need
0: to listen to this fucking podcast to get the story. I don't mind. I don't mind that Mark wanted to talk about the story. I don't mind that at all. Um, the issue I take with and, and there's been a couple stories around stories where Mark's done this kind of like analysis. Kind of step by step analysis of what goes on and breaking things down, and it's a really cool format, and I really like it. I just don't think that format was acceptable for this story. And you I can thought, see, and I can see the pitch, and I can see why, like they want to do, like, oh, that's really cool. You're going to break it down, and or this thing over here, and then this thing over here, and here's the legal kind of like walk us through like a quasi legal analysis. You thought the analysis but, was more of an anal cyst, but it's just, <laughs> it's just like that would have been fine for just about any other type of story except for this because you just. It's just irresponsible. It's just irresponsible. Uh, I want to end it on a, on a positive note, Quentin. Okay. You know the problem with that bike? It doesn't have a fucking kickstand. No kickstand. So we got to put the kickstands on. No kickstand. All right, Quentin. Good talk. See you out there. All right, later. Social justice warrior Quentin on the keyboard. Boop, 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 boop. There's someone on the internet and they're wrong. I must fix this. Bah, 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 bah.